Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm your host, Connie Bowman. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, then wow, how did you find us? Send me a little note. I'm curious to hear. And if this is your 10th time or 100th time, or I think we have 210 podcasts now, something like that, then thank you. Thank you for listening. Sometimes I have no idea why people listen or how people find us or any of that. So if you have any comments, go to our Happy Healthy You Facebook page and just drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd also love to hear if you've taken a look at our sponsor, Blue Planet Eyewear. Blue Planet Eyewear is a great company. They, for every pair of eyeglasses that they sell, they give back and they make really cute readers and sunglasses. I've been wearing a different pair of sunglasses every single day this week because I've been down at the beach. And yeah, and they're so cute. So if you go to their website, blueplanet.com, and you find something you like, you can use the code CONNIE20 and get your uh, discounts for our special listeners. So after a couple of recent high-profile suicides, I really wanted to address the topic uh, in this podcast, but I I really feel strongly that uh, I want to do it in a responsible and very compassionate way. And while I've experienced grief and loss, um, I have really have not felt the deep depression that today's guest has uh, gone through and experienced, nor can I speak on the topic of suicide with any real um, authority, but my guest can. So I'm really anxious to talk to today's guest, Rick Sharp. He's a master life coach. He's an emotional intelligence and mindfulness facilitator and the author of The Price of Heartbreak. He's had articles in so many different magazines, including Cosmopolitan, ooh, Yoga Magazine, and ooh, that was, an, that was not ooh, that was like ooh, <laughs> Yoga Magazine, <laughs> Health Easta, and others. And he's here to talk about uh, particularly the experience that men have with depression and anxiety and, you know, whatever else happens, whatever else we talk about will just be the perfect thing. So welcome, Rick. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Connie, and thanks for the invite. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, too. It's funny, when I was reading your uh, info, uh, I saw that you were inspired by Brene Brown. As I was driving home from the beach this morning, I was listening to Brene Brown's Rising Strong. I hadn't read this one, and I think it's so appropriate for this conversation today because just finding that uh, the ability to rise after we've fallen so to, to these darker places um, is an important life skill that many of us could use nowadays, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, I think we, we're all, uh, there's 7 billion people on the planet. We only have like a half a dozen to uh, 10 different emotions that we all deal with. And we all find ourselves in some way, shape or form in, in darker places of our lives. And, and we, all, we all know that they pass, but when you're in them, you, you don't know that and you feel like you're very much alone. So we all struggle with it. And that's the interesting thing about trying to raise uh, 
trying to raise awareness about mental health, and we'll get into that when we talk about the recent events, but uh, mm -hmm. very, very important subject because everybody on the planet deals with it. At some point in our lives, right? Your book, The Price of Heartbreak, uh, you wrote what, a few years ago, right? And you mentioned in our emails that you're quite different from the man who wrote that book. Can you talk talk a little bit about how so? Well, the, the book really didn't, wasn't really supposed to be a book. It was uh, after a, a four-year relationship that I was extremely emotionally mm -hmm. uh, involved in and uh, attached to when that came to an end. And it, it was a mutual consent thing, but actually when it happened, it really hit me like a ton of bricks and so there was a, a huge pool of emotion uh, that I had to try and deal with which I really didn't quite understand so I started writing and journaling just kind of to get it out of my system because it was really tearing me apart to be quite honest and emotion can do that if you let it so it's interesting that you mentioned Brene Brown because mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, I tried to do when somebody suggested to me that the, all this information and, and, and these feelings that I was putting on paper was very, very graphic and very vivid that a lot of people could relate to. So I thought, well, gee, you know, maybe maybe getting it out there uh, would probably be a good, it was helping me, maybe it could help other people. So I went to Bali for about three weeks to, uh, to, fi to finish this book. It was interesting because uh, when I started writing, I, I, I looked up the... Uh, uh, I googled vulnerability, and uh, th th this is a, a man thing that we struggle with uh, very sure. deeply. And Brene Brown's name came up, and I read all three of her books in about two weeks, and it turned out that he was poster boy for vulnerability or avoiding that, and, and my generation grew up with that. So then the, that's when the book kind of took on a life of its own, and it was that journey from... Uh, being in a very, very dark place and, 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 and the things that I had to do in order to get myself out of that. And that was a, a huge uh, a huge change in my life in the sense that although uh, it was very painful to, to let this, uh, this person go, she changed my life because I had to uh, I have a four-step process that I realized I went through in order to get to where I am at the moment. I think Brene Brown calls that the sloppy something first draft where you just get it all out there. You get all your emotions written. I, and I think it's a lot of people talk about the power of writing longhand. So you just write it without without censoring yourself at all and you just get it on paper. And so that's what the book ended up. That's where, where the book came from. Yeah, exactly. The thing is that... Um... And I wrote, there was another book that I, I read, a friend of mine, I'd always talked about writing a book, but never realizing that it was going to come out in this sort of context. A mm -hmm. friend of mine gave me a couple of books, and one of them was a, a book by a, a woman named Nancy Aroni called uh, Writing from the Heart. And when I read that, it sort, it, it sort of rang really real true with me, and it, it, what you're saying is very true in the sense that don't sit down and just try to think about what you're writing, just write. And there was lots of times when I sat down and wrote and would just get up and walk away and would not remember what I wrote because it was just a, a, a dump. And what she says is those raw emotions, those those words that you go back to later. And uh, that's the good thing about journaling because over a period of time, you can actually go back to old journal entries and see where you were and experience where you are. And that's a sort of a, a significant indication of actual progress and improvement in your own life. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's very healing. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of those, some of the things we can do and um, 
some of the things we can encourage or I don't know, some of the tools. I have no idea. I feel like I'm, I'm so, when it comes to men, first of all, men are a mystery. <laughs> Most men say women are a mystery, but <clears throat> men, we just don't talk about it. As you said, the vulnerability no. and the shame. Um, we, it seems like in this day and age, I mean, men have taken a hard hit this year anyway. I, I kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's been a rough year for men. Let's just, let's just say that. Um, and then this, this idea of being vulnerable is so foreign to, to so many men. Um, what can we do to shift that a little bit? Do you think, do you see any, any improvement in that arena right now? Well, I think it starts with men themselves. I mean, first of all, when I was growing up, being involved, like you were taught, uh, big, you know, big boys don't cry, and you had to be a man. And there's a certain societal stereotypes around what a man is. And I think, and I might ruffle some feathers here, but but I think a, a lot of women out there expect a certain stereotype of a man. You know, he has to be manly, and he has to be the mm-hmm. provider. And and society actually lumps on top of all of that the fact that over generations you know we were the provider you know we were the mentor uh, we were this that and everything in the, in, in the provision of, of a life for a partner and a family so there was a lot of things to actually live up to in the corporate world you know we're expected to climb the ladder and and do all these things so sometimes when some of those things or a lot of those things start to fall down we don't want to let our partners and people that are close to us know that we're actually failing and that's a big huge fear for us mm-hmm. um bringing Brene just a quick one bringing Brene back into it she was doing a book signing one time and this this man and his wife and two daughters came up to sign the books and when the uh the wife and the two daughters walked away from the table he stood there and she looked at him nervously and can I help you know do you have something to say? He says, yeah. He said, uh, and he questioned her research and she said something along the lines of, well, most of my research has been about uh, shame and vulnerability has been with women. And he says, well, that's very convenient. He says, because if it's one thing I know, it's about shame and it's about vulnerability. And, and if we men try to bring that up, we get the shit kicked out of us. So, mm-hmm. and then he finished it off by saying, he said, see that uh, woman and two, two little girls over there? So that's my family. They would rather see me die mm-hmm. on my white horse than watch me fall off. Yeah. And, I, and I think that kind of sums it up for where men are in general, where they don't want to uh, feel or seem and be judged to be weak because uh, because of various vulnerabilities that we've brought up, been brought up to think that it's a weakness and not a strength when mm-hmm. the exact opposite is actually the truth. Sure. We certainly need more role models of um, authentic just just people <laughs> men and women no, you're right. yeah and, and i think that that's coming around because i think mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a, some high profile men out there in sport and politics and whatnot and uh they're coming out and actually expressing their uh, journeys and their mm-hmm. struggles with mental health yeah and i think that's very very important and uh, one of the things that uh, men and, and a lot of people that struggle with mental health i think struggle with is opening up we don't know each other's stories and mm-hmm. we stand beside each other on the subway going to work in the mornings on the buses or whatever and we're all struggling in some way shape or form but we don't want to talk about it we're mm-hmm. the, we, we hide it so so well mm-hmm. and and it's interesting because the interesting statistic is 50% of people that uh, leave this life because of uh, suicide I don't like to say commit suicide uh, 
nobody had an idea that they had any kind of mental health issues because mm-hmm. they hide it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very sad. I don't. I, this is not a, a very uh, smooth segue, but when you were talking about what a man, what is a man, might have you heard of the musical Kinky Boots? It's on Broadway right now. No. <laughs> well, my daughter's in it. My daughter happens to be. Um, in in that show and there's a song and it's perfect i should maybe insert it into this podcast it's called what a man and it's like what a man what a man what a man what a man and it's all about like what a woman wants vulnerability you know it's all that's what it's all about it was written by cindy lopper um Uh you know so oh yeah oh yeah it's great it's a great song um but anyway i digress i just had to bring that in (laughs) so can we talk about because you've written about this so much can we talk about in particular men and depression how is it different uh from and maybe it isn't but uh you know from my standpoint it seems like it would be there would be differences between men and women and what are some of the signs to look for um, if you have someone in your life you think might might be yeah well I mean women are women are, are more vocal I mean and they're more in touch with their emotions so they will talk about it a lot more whereas men don't um, especially when they're when in, when they're in a male group I mean they, they, they won't unless they're a best friend they find it very very hard to talk about it because they don't want to be uh, feeling any less than a man than the rest of them in the room so to speak but I think that the biggest message for people uh, who are struggling is they need to find some avenue to, to talk about it. And since we don't, and you recognize, I mean, you talk about symptoms. I mean, there, there, there's a number of them out there. I mean, there's a, people have significant changes in behavior or their demeanor or they, they become, over a period of time, irritable and moody or they're, they're doing less of what they really enjoy doing. Uh, one of the big things is is people will tend to become socially withdrawn, and and, and, I, and I went through that as well in trying to avoid people. Uh, they become less talkative, distracted. Uh, some could talk of feelings of hopelessness, these types of things. Substance abuse comes into this, especially when you're dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, some people like they, they seem to sleep too much or too little. And, you know, they have huge mood swings and they deal dealing with things like humiliation and shame and these types of things. So those are they're fairly consistent symptoms when, mm-hmm. when we're talking about uh, talking about depression. If you're recognizing those types of things, I believe it's you're not intruding by walking to somebody that you really care or love about and and, and just ask the question like, hey, are, are you OK? Like, are, are you are, are, are you doing are, are you doing well or are you not? Because that might just open the door for them to talk and maybe that just is, is the key. And even if they don't start talking, at least just let them know that you're there and you'll be there for them and you won't judge them and you won't dismiss you know, what, they're, what they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tricky subject uh, to take on. It's tricky to start that conversation. There's a lot of things that uh, you have written about that we should not say to people. So maybe we could talk about what not to say. When I lost a child, I, I uh, a lot of people say the worst and most strange things <laughs> when to people when they just don't know what to say, yeah. and and it's usually it's well meaning, but um, but I think people in general are tougher on men, and so um, 
you know, people say things like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, get yourself together and stuff like that. Can can you talk about some of the things not to say to a man who might be uh, going through a depression? Well, you just brought up a couple of them, you know, toughen mm-hmm. up, you know, there's uh, people that, uh, like say, look, lose a partner in some way, shape or form. There's, you know, there, there's more fish in the sea, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that those kinds of things. And it's, it's about diminishing the feelings that they actually have. And it's, it's, and it's not so much what you say. It's sometimes it's just how you say it. So, uh, you know, those types of things where, you know, tomorrow's a better day, uh, you know, you'll get over it. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, uh, or, you know, come on, let's just go, let's just go to the movies and you'll be fine. And these types of things. And it, it basically pushes, you know, for me, it would push me back into a darker hole because what you're actually doing is you're making that person realize that you don't understand mm. and people that are in those dark, darker places, Sometimes that's just exactly what they need, just some form of understanding and uh, empathy as to where they are. And, and sometimes it's okay to say that to that person, you know, thinking of things, the right things to say. So like, listen, you know, like, I, I, I don't really get where you are, but I'm just here and I want to be here and I'm not going anywhere. So, and that's empathic in the sense that you, you, you are, you know that you, you don't know what they're going through because obviously they haven't opened up to that point and you need to ask them more questions, but it's really good at that point also is to go away and educate yourself. And, uh, there's lots of stuff out there on the, on the, uh, you know, just Google it. And, and there's lots of information out there for people that, um, to, to, to better help other people and loved ones that are going through these types of things because sure. it does plat It does. It will pass even if it's clinical. I mean, once you get, uh, get help, uh, whether that's uh, clinical help, uh, it does pass and it, it does move to a better place in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, everything does pass. Can you remember something, any examples of certain things someone might have said to you that did help, that maybe got you past a really rough patch? Um or maybe something, someone, a gesture or a kind message or, I don't know, anything. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, just speaking from my own experience, I mean, I was, uh, you, you get to a point where you just, uh, I was just wallowing in it. I invited it. Um, I remember sitting in my apartment in the dark at night and uh, not having left it for like two or three days. and. You know, staring at a glass of whiskey thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going there. And I knew exactly where I was going. And I knew that it wasn't going to make me any better in the morning, but I went. And it was just diving into that darkness, you know, basically full speed. And I went there willingly. And, and it was almost a, it was almost like I deserved it. And, you know, this was kind of my punishment. And uh, I remember the next day when uh, a friend of mine uh, dropped by and, basically took one look at me and just said, what the hell is going on with you? And it's interesting because when you look in the mirror, you don't really actually see it because you're doing it day after day and somebody kind of walks in and, and, and looks at you and haven't seen you for a while and they're shocked by your demeanor, your behavior, your, 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 uh, your physical appearance. And it, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks and, 
it kind of I had to look at myself in the mirror in a different way and say like what is this person seeing that I'm not because I was really wallowing in it I got used to it and it was just my day-to-day existence went really really dark and I was unfortunately that just that just became normal for me Mm, yeah yeah can you talk about uh, how is grief different from depression there there is a distinction there well, there is. I mean, depression is not a choice. I mean, it's something that kind of descends upon you, and it, it does, it does uh, change your thinking, and it it, mm-hmm. it changes your behavior in the sense that um, you're avoiding people, and your mindset is all around. It's a very dark mindset all around. What your thoughts are about you and what the world is doing to you. Grief is about. I think. Uh, about somebody else grief is passing and grief has a number of stages that you go through through the loss of somebody mm-hmm. so depression sits with you and it doesn't go away mm-hmm. whereas grief is a passing i think it, it, it is a passing event in your life and depression can be too but if you don't deal with depression it just engulfs you and it doesn't go away because you need help to actually manifest that yeah, for someone who has never been there, uh, Emily Dickinson describes it so uh, beautifully. Yes, I know. A funeral yeah. in my brain, right? I mean, uh, yeah, that just blew me away. I mean, and that's uh, yeah. and 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 that's in the book actually that quote because, uh, God, Andrew Solomon, I think, is the guy, and he, he he's his his story is really really amazing. He brings that up in one of his talks, and he also says something about. You know, the deep depression is just a slower way of being dead. Mm. It's and it's very, very morbid what he says, but it's very, very true for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. that's and that's why when when people get to that stage, they start considering, you know, what is what is my out here? What is my final outcome? Mm-hmm. And and that's where we get into sort of suicide ideation and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this is where I want to be very responsible. And I feel like the media sometimes is not so responsible. So uh, suicide is on the rise, but it's not in any way epic or epidemic. And we should say that treatment and intervention work. And uh, and a lot of the practices that you are you are working with uh, really do work. And I teach yoga and mindfulness. And so let's talk about some of the things that do work and just put a positive spin on it as much as we can. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, quite honestly, uh, when I started getting getting into mindfulness, and mindfulness is just not about meditation. I mean, mindfulness is about being in the moment. Yes. Um, I think it was Lao Tzu who says that if you're living in the past, you're depressed. If you're living in the future, you're anxious. But if you're living in the moment, then you're quite okay. And, and this mm-hmm. is very, very true. So when I was in situations where my uh, thoughts were really running away from me, uh, doing a short med- uh, a breathing meditation and concentrating on you know, being in that moment. And you can do that walking down the street even, just noticing and stop noticing or start noticing things that are happening around you, whether that be nature or people or whatever the case may be. But bringing yourself into that moment actually stops, it clicks off that uh, gear in your brain that's sitting and, and, and contemplating sticks stuff that's already happened uh, or you, making you anxious about stuff that's uh, going to happen. So I think that was really, really a big thing for me. There is actual science behind it. We create new neural pathways by practicing these uh, mindfulness techniques, right? 
Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. You're right. And the thing is, is that it used to be, there's a lot of things over the last 10 or 15 years that science believed that has been actually disproven. So for many years, we were believing the wrong thing. For example, we used to believe that, you know, over the first seven or eight years of your life, the all the neural pathways in your brain were, were, were opened up and that was it. The rest of your brain kind of sat idle and that was what you were left with. And it's been proven that it's very, very untrue that uh, behavior, changing thought patterns and changing behaviors and, and continuing with those types of things uh, will open and uh, will open and uh, keep open neural pathways till the day you die. So you know, one of the messages, uh, I guess, from the book is also that no matter how old you are in your life, it's never too late to change and make a difference and, and, and build a different life because the fact that the brain still can grow is something that's been discovered over the last five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about medication, uh, medication, not meditation. <laughs> We've talked about meditation. There's only one word difference. <laughs> I know. I never thought about that before. One, one letter is difference. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, again, uh, like I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a psychiatrist or, or a researcher of any kind. I'm just a, a guy next door, really, that kind of, put something together to express what I went through. And there's a lot of people out there that have a story that have, that have no voice because they don't know how to put that into words. And I was lucky that, you know, for my experience, I could. And one of the things that I did learn for the reading that I did do was that um, when you're dealing with things like depression and suicide ideation, it, it does pass. But sometimes it is clinical and sometimes it's, you know, uh, engaging your partner or helping them to go and get that kind of help and medication does work for some people and medication does is needed for some people because of the fact that their brains are wired in a slightly different way and you know this helps them have a, a better quality of life so in certain situations you know medication is needed but for most uh, I think you know to be honest uh, in touching on a different subject slightly but I think I think I think in the medical profession we're too quick to diagnose and put labels on behavior and, and, and offer medication where I don't think it's actually needed for, for a lot of people, but uh, I just don't know why. Uh, I know people that were diagnosed, they wanted to label bipolar and, and personality disorder and all these types of things mm -hmm. when in actual fact they weren't. So, mm -hmm. and, and you, you find over the generation of, of kids nowadays, you know, people are are very very quick to you know diagnose ADHD and these right. types of things in kids when, when sometimes it's it's not warranted but right. we've gone down that road and and I, I don't know why it seems to be you know here's the behavior here's the book here's the list yeah tick there it is okay there's the medication have a nice day yeah so yeah I, I think that's abused to be quite honest I agree I'm totally on that same page yeah so I wish people would look more toward um, integrative approaches and and looking to their whole person. Um, you know, we are body, mind, and spirit. And our body has a lot of wisdom, but, you know, if we tap into our spiritual selves, uh, we can get a whole new frame of reference, I think. And, and, and I would like to go there. Um, did spirituality play a role for you in your healing? Well, it, it did in a way. Uh, 
the, and it's interesting when you talk about mind and body. I mean, body has limitations; the mind doesn't. Mm. And I think what's, when, when people understand that and they get into sort of the, the the emotional, mental, and spiritual sides of the mind and, and, and how that works, it, it's uh, when you talk about quantum physics and that we're supposed to be a, a, we're all energy and we're all part of a bigger universe. And mm-hmm. you know, I'll be honest with you; like I'm trying, like I do have a spiritual side to me to a great extent. And there's some friends of mine that are hugely spiritual, and I'm and I. I'm not there yet, and I believe in it. I'm trying to get there, but I do believe that we are part of a, a bigger entity, and uh, I'm sort of moving down. That's another part of my journey. I'm moving towards that. Um, but yeah, spiritualism—it's—it's—it's it's, it's huge, and it's becoming very more, much more prevalent than than actually religion is, because it's a different concept altogether. Hmm. Well, it's the interconnectedness of all of us. And, you know, we can see it in nature. And if we can see it in nature, that can kind of, uh, for me, that uh, brings it into my humanity. I think it's it's a little bit of a um, connection there. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's, I guess maybe to illustrate the point a little bit more sort of uh, simply, uh, everybody has gone through this where mm-hmm. they get up in the morning, they feel great, they've had their coffee, they go into work and they walk into somebody's office who's having a bad day mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden after five minutes talking with this person that they walk out and they feel like crap and because they've absorbed that negative energy mm-hmm. because negative energy is very very powerful probably much more than positive energy and mm-hmm. that's, that's the whole idea like you're saying like we all we're all part of of a bigger being and and, and we swap energies mm-hmm. and you know negative is energy is very very powerful yeah, yeah. And and there's a responsibility, I think, that we all carry. I say this to my yoga students, you know, when you go out into the world after you've taken a yoga class, you are sending these kindness, these compassion molecules out into the world. So it's a it's a beautiful thing if you take responsibility for your own um, body, mind and spirit. But as you say, when we are in this, these uh, depressive episodes, it's really hard to even get out of bed sometimes. So it's true, you know, yeah. and the, the other thing too is like w- when you're in a darker place, sometimes when you do acts of kindness, I mean, although you you do it and, and it, it's it's a, a huge shift when you do that because you you almost get more of it than, than the person you're being kind to. Mm, so one, so of the, one of the things that I realize is being kind to other people is uh, it, it helps their day and it, it, it really helps your day at all. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, recently uh, separated, and, and she's a bit older, so she was struggling with finding the partner. And we were talking about it, and we said, "Just why don't you, why don't you go work for volunteer organizations uh, or volunteer organizations? Because people that actually do that are, are givers, and they have kind hearts. And and being around like-minded people, you never know that you know you might find that connection with somebody that you're really looking for, and because it's just a different environment of different, you know, like-minded people. Yeah. And giving back is healing. Yeah. Yeah. Very healing. Very healing. Also, gratitude is another sort of spiritual practice, just like journaling gratitude or being aware, even at the end of the day, just taking a little um, look back and being grateful for the smallest things. Um, You're right. And People say like, "What are you doing in Baghdad?" For God's sake, and <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm grateful. Number one, the fact that I have a job, and even though I am where I am, I'm I'm good at what I do, and and uh, you know, and somebody wants me here. So being grateful is huge, and just about the little things because I've lived in the Middle East for about 20 years, and you know, and I've been in and out of Baghdad or in Iraq itself, and 
about eight years, and I've talked to a lot of the local Iraqis, and they have some very interesting stories, and they all they, they revolve around you know the wars that have been here, so they've been affected sure. by it in in, in, a diff, in different ways. So the day-to-day life that they live is very different. So when I go back to, for example, Canada, where I'm from, um, and I listen to first world problems, I really don't have the patience to sit <laughs> and listen because um, they, a lot of people don't understand what mm. tragedy is, they don't understand what challenge is, they don't mm. understand uh, what a hard life is, especially sure. when, after I've talked to some of the people over here. and. To be people don't have that kind of gratefulness as far as the life they have and the, and the environment they're living in and, and the, the country and and all those types of things. Uh, there's not enough gratitude out there to be really honest. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I'm curious about one thing you said, being in the Middle East, and um, uh, I do I do agree with you that after going through um, tough situations or tragedies or um, deep depressions grief, um, small talk, first world problems are so trivial. Yeah. Um, I actually went through that too. After I lost a child, I just, and I, it still is with me today. I still really don't want to have a conversation that's surface level. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's, that's why it's so nice to have these conversations that are helpful. And hopefully we will, uh, through this conversation, touch some people. So yeah, it's, it's, it's true because, like I said before, I mean, we, we, we've talked, uh, we talk about people that have these amazing stories and they're on podcasts and TV and all these types of things, and they are amazing. They come from, uh, you know, trauma and, and uh, business failures and, and all these things. And I think that the, the person next door has a story as well, and, I, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think those bigger stories belittle the person next door, because those stories are important to them, and they're important in their lives, and they're big issues in their lives. So this is where I think these stories still need to be heard because they make a difference in 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 that person's life, even though they're just that person living next door. They're going to work at the sawmill every day, and they have a wife and two kids, and, I, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't matter. It's it doesn't important matter. to them, and it's still worth listening to. I really believe that. Everybody's story is worth listening to, yeah. So uh, the power of telling your story, um, whether it's in a support group or just to that to your next-door neighbor. Yeah, um, you did it. How did it change once you got it all out there and began over overcoming the shame and the vulnerability and just you know going for it and talking about what you'd been through? How did that change you? Well, it's a process, mm-hmm. to be really honest. It's a sure. process. And I remember when I first started talking, I used to be around the bush a lot because I really wasn't getting to the, the, the core issues of you know, where my life was at the time. So, And even when, after I wrote the book, we were sitting around one night and, and there was a pilot, uh, a friend of a friend who was a pilot. So what's your book about? And so I, I kind of beat around the bush and thought, well, it's kind of, it was sort of a, you know, 14, and I, I just didn't know how to explain it until finally I just said it was a huge emotional experience that I put on paper after I broke up with this person that I was in love with. Thinking, and the reason why I was beating around the bush is because I, I thought I was being judged by another, you know, alpha male sort right. of thing. A and pilot. When yeah. I, yeah, and when I said that, he resonated totally. He said, 
hey, yeah, I get that. I was really surprised. It's just being able to talk about it and opens the door for other people to talk about mm -hmm. their issues as well. But the, the process was for me was the more I talked about it to different people, the more I vocalized it differently. Same subject, but it came out differently. And every time I did that, I seemed to pick up on what I was saying in a different manner. And I used to learn a little bit more the more times I talked about it. Mm -hmm. So I, I engaged that conversation more and more. It was really, really helped to help me get to the point where I realized that I, for the first time in my life, actually really liked who I was. And I began to love who I was, mm -hmm. which is so, so, so important. Self-love in the fact that once you get to that point, then it's really, really uh, easy for you to invite that into your life from somebody else. So mm -hmm. it was a journey in the fact that I learned as I talked and it was surprised about some of the things that I was saying and some of the things that I was saying I would have never said four or five years ago, mm. but it, it really opened it up. And that's where you get like a, a sort of a, a, an air of authenticity and people actually engage you once they know you're coming from that place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing better than talking to someone who's coming from their true self, their authentic self, sort of a similar situation. I remember after uh, my daughter died, I went through a similar experience where people would bring up the subject or I would have to wrestle with the idea of whether I should bring it up. And I, I remember like, oh, do I want to get into it now? Like so many times. And, and usually nine times out of 10, when I would engage someone in a conversation about, um, you know, overcoming grief or dealing with, you know, the loss of a child, someone would uh, have a similar experience or something they could relate to. And then we had common ground and, and then we, we connected on some level. And yeah. So it's, it's always a challenge because it takes a lot of energy to bring it up sometimes. Um, but once I do, I'm usually pretty happy about it. I don't know. Is that how, was it similar for you or? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're doing it now. So yeah. um, again, I mean, I didn't lose a daughter. I almost did. Um, and she, you write about it in your book. Yeah. 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 She, I didn't want to give it away. Suicide lockdown for mm. 72 hours. And I drove basically 12 hours through the night in the middle mm. of the night to get to where she was. And as a parent, um, and, and your experience is, is, is much more uh, acute than mine. But as a parent, you ask yourself so many questions about, you know, why didn't I know this? Why didn't I see this? Or what could I have done differently? And you really beat yourself up over it. And, um, when I put it that into the book, she was, she struggled with it, but then she was okay because she actually didn't realize from a parent's perspective, what that, what that could do. So yeah, it's, um, I, again, it, it's the whole communication issue and getting that out and, mm -hmm. and you, there are people out there that you have no idea and or would be totally surprised that again, we don't know other people's stories that they could totally resonate with your experience and what you're talking about. And then, like you say, you have a connection, you have a common ground. And that's when you get to a point where, because we struggle, we try to find our own way. When we compare those types of struggles and stories, we actually learn and, and, and we're able to maybe try certain things that other people have tried that could possibly help us as well. Mm -hmm. And that's just helping with the whole awareness piece that we really need to um, bring, bring out so much more awareness of these mental health issues. Because as we said, everyone's got 
something <laughs> or someone, you know. Um, I'm, you know, I just had a, a little thought for you, Rick. You yeah. know, maybe the reason you're in the Middle East is to bring this sort of overcoming of the shame and vulnerability to men in the Middle East, because I, I don't know about you, and maybe it's a stereotype, but my uh, perception of men from that area is that they are much more tightly wound and probably less uh, able to connect with that vulnerability. Would you say that as a cultural truth? I, or I would, I would agree with that to a great extent, because they're pretty much culturally bound mm -hmm. and... Uh, I don't know if if this generate. I think individually there are people out there could probably break through that. Mm -hmm. I think oh, it'll for take sure. Probably another generation or two before, uh, because of the fact that the internet is there and it, there's just so much information at the tip of our hands mm -hmm. that uh, that will benefit this coming generation and the next. Uh, but you you are right. It, it's a culture to culture because of men being. Uh, to pick it in a different way in the Arab culture or the, the Chinese uh, culture or the Asian culture, mm -hmm. it's, it, it is different. And it's, I think that progress is going to be slower for them to be honest. Mm, but you're there. So <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm going through this transformation where my, my background is aviation and I'm, I'm about another year away from moving away from that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, uh, uh, Somebody brought it up that uh, a practice in Dubai, which I haven't started yet, but uh, coaching men in, in, in that in that mm. environment uh, would be would be probably very useful and very inviting in, mm -hmm. in Dubai, which is kind of the epicenter of the Arab culture at the moment. I see it for you. I see it. It's great. It's really it's pretty cool. Okay, so before we give all of your information, so people can read your book and uh, check out your blog and everything you have going, um, and help raise awareness. Let's just give some some places where people can go if they are concerned about a loved one or if they themselves, um, man, male or female, there's, where we can go. Of, there's a ton of stuff out there. Okay. And, uh, there's uh, there's forums on the internet. There's there's actually, for example, in the UK, there's there's a place called a Men's Health Forum or mm -hmm. the CalmZone.net. And you can text, chat, email. You don't have to call them. You don't have to go to a building. And, you know, they, there'll be somebody, it may not be a mental health professional, but it'll be a counselor of some sort that will get back to you. Uh, there's, a, there's another one called Befrienders Worldwide. They can, you can contact them and they can put you into, into touch with uh, centers all over the globe, I think. Uh, in the U.S., they have a suicide hotline. Uh, there's a crisis text line. All these, all these, all this information is on the net. And there's a, something called Unsuicide. It's an online directory, and it's it's available in Canada as well. So there's there, there's a ton of stuff out there, and there, there's a lot of stuff that can uh, really help a lot of people. And and sometimes it, people don't want to talk, and it can be something as simple as a text message. Mm -hmm. And you know, as long as you've got somebody coming back to you, it's, uh, these organizations will, then that's a form of communication. Yeah. Yeah. So just reach out, reach out in yeah, whatever way, exactly. you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed with the UK. They're really on it. They've actually done studies and found that, um, people are very lonely and, and I think it's true uh, of many of us, not only in the UK, but they have uh, established a department of loneliness, I think, and they're, they're trying to tackle the issue. So yeah, and there's, there's cool. a huge issue with uh, 
sort of the, the, the elder, the older demographic in mm-hmm. the UK. It was interesting. I was listening mm-hmm. to one of your uh, your episodes uh, uh, yesterday. You were talking about the fact that you know there's a lot of people out there that get grumpy when they get old, but oh. there's a lot of depression associated with that. Mm-hmm. And it could be for a myriad of, pro- of, of issues going through, but a lot of uh, elderly people, and this is part of one of the studies that I read, was the fact that they they don't feel useful and they don't to society or their family and, and they don't talk about it so that they keep it silent and lots of people there will just sit in their apartments and not do anything which is really sad and mm. and yet these people if you go back if you go back uh, in cultures and generations the, the the elder generation were revered i mean they right. were they were they, they were the ones that told stories of generations gone by and yes. they were highly highly respected and, and i think we've lost something over the last 15, 20, 30 years that that we're losing that that respect for for the elder gen, the older generation. For sure, for sure, we really need to bring that back. And that's since I'm heading in that direction, I'm 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 on it. <laughs> I'm going to work yeah, on that. Yeah, well, I'm way ahead of you. I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, I hope you're doing your yoga over there in Baghdad. in Baghdad. Yeah. Do they they probably yeah. have the yoga over there. And that's another piece that we didn't even talk about, nutrition and health and the physical, taking care of our physical bodies. It's really yeah. important. It's really critical if you can well, bring yourself to start small like that. So. Yeah, you, you, I'm a big believer that God gave you two gifts when you came into this world. One was your mind. Mm-hmm. And the second one was your body. And you, you need to take care of both because that will enhance your life in any every which one taking care of one won't do it it's a package deal and i think if you take care of both uh, you can live a long and and, and very healthy and happy life Mm, good okay so um before we give your information your uh, website and everything i just want to give the suicide prevention hotline just to be a responsible as i said i want to be responsible so if uh if you want to if anybody needs to jot it down it's 800-273-8255. So that's one place you can reach out. Um, And uh, Rick mentioned many other websites you can go to. And uh, now if you can give us your information, your website, your blog, and your book, um, so we can check you out. Uh, we'd yeah, appreciate it. Just another quick one to add to the one that you added is the, the crisis text line. We okay. talked about texting. Yes. And that's uh, 888-628-9454. And that's available throughout the U.S. Okay, great. Good. Okay, now give us all your information okay. so we can stalk yeah, okay. you. Uh, and <laughs> the, the website is rick-sharp-sharpe.com. On that, there's links to magazine articles, the podcasts that I've done to date, and uh, there's a, a blog. And interestingly, my latest one I have to, I'm going to be putting it up today or tomorrow is, is reference the whole issue around suicide uh, awareness after the uh, passing of a couple of uh, celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly, the uh, the book uh, uh, The Price of Heartbreak it's available on, on Amazon.com, and uh, although I have an Instagram account. I'm, I'm working. I'm not one of those IT guys, so I, I'm, I'm trying. To, this is all new to me, so I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to work that out too as well. I'm trying to be more involved with that. 
<laughs> yeah, Instagram, it's all overwhelming. <laughs> I, know, I know, all at once, and I'm an old guy, so it's it's all new to me, but uh, it's yeah, fun. We'll, we'll get there. We'll it's get there. fun. That's the fun part about it. It's new. Yeah, it's all new. Yeah, keep, keep embracing the new. Well, thank you, Rick, for sharing your wisdom and your love and your light and your book, and uh, I hope that we have um, encouraged people to talk a little bit more and look at each other in the eye and, you know, realize that we're all just doing the best we can, right? That's another Brene Absolutely. Brown. Absolutely. <laughs> and the two big messages from the book is basically that, uh, yes, we need to talk. And second one is you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. Thank no. you. Well, we've proven it. If we can have this clear conversation from across the globe, we are definitely not alone. We are we are much more interconnected than than we could ever imagine. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your your uh, discussion today. It was so not surface level. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me, Connie. I admire the work that you're doing all across. And uh, like I said, you're bringing a lot of really, really great messages in your podcast to Aww. lots of people out there. So I think it, uh, it does help a lot of people. So keep up the good work. I hope so. Back at you. Yeah. Back at you. Okay. All right. Have a good day or night. Yeah. It's night over there. Take care. Take care. Happy, A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.